Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's August 1st, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We continue our coverage of Chiefs training camp, now at about the halfway point, and an injury has cost the team a player who is moving up the depth chart. Nazi Johnson, a second-year defensive back who played only special teams last season, was getting first-team snaps with the defense in practice. He's also the team's gunner on kick coverage. But as he was defending a wide receiver during a drill at the indoor facility over the weekend, Johnson tore an ACL and will miss the season. Other injuries in camp have been less serious, although wide receiver Kadarius Toney is likely to miss the rest of practices with a knee injury, and tight end Jody Fortson will be out with a shoulder injury, so the Chiefs have not exactly escaped the injury bug. Beat writer Jesse Newell and I break down the injury situation and how the Chiefs are filling the gaps. After a break, you're going to hear from Kansas State football coach Chris Kleiman. Beat writer Kels Robinette and I spoke with Kleiman during Big 12 Media Days in July, and you'll hear how the coach of the defending league champion feels about prospects heading into this season. Okay, let's get started. Jesse. Blair. How you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. We're here at Missouri Western because it seems like that's where we always are at, Missouri Western side of Chiefs training camp. And uh, we, we just watched the third day of padded practice. So they've been hitting for these last few days, and <laughs> hitting has taken a toll on the Chiefs in terms of injuries. Today was the first day there wasn't an injured Chief taken from the field. Uh, so two big ones so far. Turns out one more serious than the other. Let's get the non, non – I guess all injuries are serious enough in their own way, but Jody Fortune injured a shoulder. Doesn't sound like he's going to miss a ton of time. I don't know exactly when he'll be back, but Andy Reid didn't sound terribly concerned about that one. The concerning one, though, is cornerback Nazi Johnson uh, tore his ACL probably about, I don't know, 50 feet from where we were standing at the indoor facility on Saturday because they moved inside with the, with the storm. And you saw it right away. In fact, you were the first one to react to it. It was um, it looked bad, and it turns out it is bad with a, with a torn ACL. What um, what is his loss going to mean for the Chiefs? Yeah. So if you'd asked me a month ago, two months ago, I probably would have said not that big of a deal. I know Dave Tobe loves him as a gunner, and that's an important part of the game. But we know special teams has been devalued a little bit, and especially in the return coverage part of this. So it's great to have that guy, and obviously it's really important for Dave Tobe to have a player on the outside he can trust. He thinks is one of the best in the NFL. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not huge. What we've seen from Nazi Johnson, though, is he's been in there for some first-team reps, like when LeJarrius Sneed has been out. And so coming into the year, I think we all assumed Jalen Watts and Joshua Williams, those two guys that got a majority of the reps, the Fab Five, as they called them a year ago, if you add in Brian Cook, Trent McDuffie uh, to that mix as well. You figured those two guys who got a majority of the playing time last year would probably be competing for that third cornerback job. But instead, it was Nazi Johnson who had kind of emerged at training camp. And so these are the type of stories that you come up with every year where a guy just the light comes on and he becomes a better player. You heard Andy Reid talk today about he said he had, he had a good camp. You know, he, he developed in year one to year two. And uh, so I, I think it's a bigger deal than I would have thought a month ago. Now, I think for the Chiefs, they just keep loading up at cornerback and in the secondary. They just keep adding bodies you think maybe aren't even necessary, but that's where it helps in a moment like this where you've got a Nick Jones uh, who was a seventh-round pick from this past year. You've got a guy like 
uh, DiCaprio Boodle, who's been around um, the system here a couple of years now. So they have some depth there uh, to go along with the guys we already mentioned. But uh, it's a blow for the Chiefs just because I think you noticed out there today when they went on 7-on-7s seven or 11-on-11s, Nazi was not out there, and there were times where receivers were more open than they were previously. So guys like Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson's got to step up, and potentially a really good story for the Chiefs. It ends before the season starts because I think Nazi Johnson was going to play quite a bit in the secondary. Yeah, Gunner uh, for, for Dave Tobe, special teams, and got snaps in the Super Bowl last year. He was one of the nine rookies, nine mm-hmm. players from the draft class, who got Super Bowl snaps a year ago. And you're, you're absolutely right. Who'd have thought, you know, even coming out of OTAs, that this would be a, an injury that would resonate? But uh, it did. And I think when you and I are done, fin- or we, when we're finished talking, we're going to play a little Joshua Williams and what he had to say about um, about his friend going down and actually how Nazi Johnson kind of inspires him or, or gave him some words of inspiration um, in, in conversations they had since the injury. So another little piece of news that happened since the last time we talked was a retirement. Uh, John Ross, a uh, wide receiver and a former first-round pick, announced his retirement this week, or he was placed on the retirement list. I guess he hasn't announced it, but he was placed on the retirement list. And um, to me, the the interesting footnote to him was where he was drafted. Yes. Um, why don't you remind us his position in the draft? Uh, one pick ahead of Patrick Mahomes, which I'm <laughs> sure, I, you know, I'm not that the Bengals right now or their fans would turn down Joe Burrow because of all the great things he's done. For the Bengals, but um, so again, if we go back a month ago, I would have probably thought that was a really big deal for the Chiefs because potentially you look at that and you say, okay, this guy's in the mix, he has the speed that we know about, and potentially that could be a really big deal. However, this was sort of the Josh Gordon training camp for him, which was we really didn't see much of him here other than with the threes and really didn't emerge, didn't really show that much. And so his quick retirement was sort of a, a shock, but um, based off what we saw in those first early days, uh, it didn't really look like it was going to turn out well for John Ross at the end of this thing. So why put yourself through training camp? Why put yourself through St. Joe humidity? Decide to retire, and so the Chiefs can move on and bring a different guy into camp. But th- this is kind of the contradiction we've talked about with the Chiefs where um, – the Chiefs don't have a lot of true number one receivers, again, not counting Travis Kelsey, but they have some depth here. They have a lot of guys you like for the five, six, seven, eight spots. And so uh, whether it's the end, uh, Justin Watson or a guy like Richie James, who's uh, been good, Justin Ross has had a really good camp, Rasheed Rice has had moments. Um, they have a pretty good back end of that where it's it's – it's fascinating to watch to see who emerges on every particular day. So I think John Ross, again, a month ago would have been a surprise that this happened, but I think he saw the writing on the wall and figured, why keep running in the heat when I don't have to? And so he moves on, the Chiefs move on, and I don't think it's going to be a big deal from here on out. I'm glad you mentioned the wide receiver depth because that that is becoming increasingly apparent to me being up here. It's just, um, look, I thought the position was a strength for the Chiefs a year ago with Juju Smith-Schuster and – um, and McCole Hardman, but I think this year there may not be a clear-cut number one wide receiver, but I think their four, five, six, seven this year is stronger than that group a year ago. Um, and the reason I say that is I, I, I would put R- Rasheed Rice in the bottom half of the, you know, not in the top three, probably Justin Watson a year better than, than first year Justin Watson for the, um, you know, for the Chiefs a year ago. Um you know, Justin Ross has looked good, at, very good at times here. Um, I, I don't know how important it is to be 
really solid at five, six, four, five, and six. But they are. I, it seems to me that they are. Assuming that uh, you know that uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling and uh, Kadarius Tony, when he comes back, uh, are, are, are your top two guys. Um, the Chiefs just seem. There's not going to be a Marcus Kemp uh, getting on the field. You know, as he, as he did to catch a pass in the AFC Championship game a year ago. Yeah, so I mean, a couple caveats, obviously, with this, which is uh, for the Chiefs. There have been times in seven on sevens, eleven on elevens, where Patrick has gone read to read to read to read and hasn't found guys open. So um, these guys have flashed at individual times, and we see a lot of the passing game out there. And seven on sevens, or the advantage goes to the receiver. So we all know that. We all have to kind of go in there with that thinking. Um, but I think you're you're bringing up a good point, Blair, and it also kind of relates to a column that our colleague Sam McDowell wrote, uh, a really good piece about what Mahomes wants to accomplish in the offseason uh, or accomplish this season where he was asked about that. And one of the big things he said for improvement-wise was just to keep getting to his next read. And so I think if you're the Chiefs, the, the reality of the situation is when you have a player like Patrick Mahomes, you just kind of have to keep relying more on him. Because he can make things right even without Tyreek Hill, even without certain pieces of the offense, even without a true number one wide receiver. He's just got to get to his next read. He's just got to process things faster. And so it's sort of like we saw the offense last year without Tyreek Hill was pretty close approximation to the one with Tyreek Hill. And it's sort of like that's because the quarterback can always take more on because of the supernatural talent that he is. So I think when you're talking about the depth of those receivers, that's where this is going to play in is that if Patrick Mahomes' focus is to always be sure that if read one is not open, read two is not open, read three is not open, he can get to the fourth read, that's where the Justin Rosses of the world, that's where the Richie James of the world become very important and make this Chiefs offense really hard to stop, even without that dynamic number one playmaker that so many NFL teams have at the number one spot. So I think that's sort of how the Chiefs are going to operate and it's how it's going to be um, planned for them to operate. It's just sometimes you got to lean a little bit more on number 15. And if you can do that and still approximate much of the offense you can't, that you did when you had a dynamic playmaker like Tyreek Hill, then that's great and it's cheaper and it's one way the Chiefs can go and still be successful offensively. So do you think it's a potential problem not to have a, a clear-cut number one? Um, as long as Andy Reid has been the head coach, you've gone from Dwayne Bowe to Jeremy Macklin to Tyreek Hill to Juju Smith-Schuster, and now there's – and we've talked about it several times. There just isn't a wide receiver on this team that has more than 57 receptions in a season, and that was Richie James for the Giants last year. Um, you know, Justin Watson's been around, MVS has been around, Richie James has been around. They've never been the, the lead guy on their team. Um, someone's going to – some wide receiver's going to end up with 75 to 85 receptions this year. I can't tell you who it's going to be. I suggested in a story that it could be MVS just because, I, I don't know, I – you know, he, he just seems like a candidate, a likely candidate. It's hard to get the AFC Championship game out of my mind. I mean, when they needed him to play, and that was about the only receiver left. Yeah, six for 116 in that He game. went wild. So yeah. that was a really good one. Um, can they do it without? Absolutely. You know, that's what they did last year. I mean, you said Juju's the number one. Was, had, had was he? 80, had about 85 receptions or yeah. something like that I mean, year? he was, but like. They had a big Super Bowl. Did anybody just like go to the Chiefs, and they said, oh, my gosh, got to look out for that Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, he sort of played that role we're talking about in the offense, which was he yeah. found holes in the zone. 
He made contested catches when he had to, and he was available for Patrick Mahomes, which is maybe that's what we're talking about here is the reliability. You know, you could rely on Juju. You knew where he was going to be. He developed that chemistry with Mahomes. These dudes are so young. I mean, we talked about this before, but they have one player, one receiver on the roster that's been here more than two years, and that's Cornell Powell, <laughs> who um, is, you know, not making this team unless crazy things happen. Right. Um, the other thing I want to mention, and, and this is just I, – I always look at this number and I just – can't believe it you know there's some really good stats out there from sports info solutions that sometimes we cite and um how you score points how you're productive in the nfl is you pass the ball beyond the first down marker you want to throw the ball downfield and that's where the big plays happen that's why you know when the chiefs were capped a little bit by that too high safety look they had to rework things last year when the chiefs threw it behind the sticks okay there's a stack called expected points added so how many points did you expect add on those plays if you add them up like if you got a 12 yard gain that's worth one point or whatever whatever the case may be the chiefs added 61 points of epa on throws behind the first down marker okay that's pretty good to be able to throw it short of the first down and still gain a lot of yardage second place in the nfl were the bills at negative 17 expected points added on those throws so what i'm saying here again is like the chiefs working with kind of a cheat code that the rest of the NFL doesn't have, which is what they're doing offensively is different and effective and not like anybody else. So, it, again, can, we can go down here. Can the Bills play without a number one? I don't know at this point. I mean, Josh Allen's really good, but he's always had Stephon Diggs, and, I mean, that's really worked out well for them. But the Chiefs are just operating a different way, and, and it's hard for us to sort of recall this in our minds. But last year, I mean, remember the, the Bengals game the previous year when the Chiefs lost to the Bengals where Mahomes – wasn't picking a read and throwing it to him and in the offseason he talked about wanting to find you know go more to shut down stay in the pocket more not you know have a lot of stress on his tackles um and then one year he flipped that and boom now he's a guy that is finding these guys behind the behind the line of scrimmage or behind the, the first down marker and they are running for lots and lots of yardage and that's because of the scheme the spacing andy reed partly travis kelsey but they really have things rolling so I just see that the Chiefs as something different right now. They have figured out something else on the NFL that maybe the other 31 teams are still chasing to find, and that's part of the reason you win a Super Bowl, and that's part of the reason that Patrick Mahomes and these other guys he throws it to, even if they aren't household names yet, still can be pretty effective. Okay, let me get your thoughts on uh, one other offensive player. He seems to do something impressive uh, every day, whether he was in pads or now that he's in pads, and that's uh, Daenerys Prince running back you've written about him we've discussed him uh, and now we're seeing him uh for the first time uh, you know against uh against uh, you know pretty good defense and he continues to me impress he impresses me i don't know how you feel about him but i think there's um there's going to be a role for him on this team he's just a little bit bigger a little bit stronger than the other running backs and he's faster so um you know, I can't help but think of Isaiah Pacheco. You know, running around in the yellow jersey. Uh, you, I think you mentioned this last week. Desperately trying to get in there. Yes, he does not want to see any more of what Daniel Prince is doing. I mean, and listen, this is natural. Isaiah's great, and he's motivated, and he's a cheerleader out here. All these sorts of things, but. You know, he's not blind. Uh, none of us are blind. Uh, Daenerys Prince has been one of the stories of camp. And you mentioned all those things he can do. He catches the ball all the time. Like one-handed catches, high-pointing in the end zone catches. He had another one of those today. Uh, 
We'll see. I mean, the thing we'll see about, and I asked Andy Reid about this. I asked him about Denarek Prince, and he said pass protection. You know, so still rookie, still learning that sort of part of the game. We saw Isaiah Pacheco took some time last year. The other part we don't exactly know yet, even though Andy Reid was encouraged through uh, one day of nine-on-seven drills, is the vision with some of these guys. Because, you know, if the vision was there perfectly, they probably would have gone drafted, you think, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a reason that these big dudes that can run really fast aren't being taken early, and the Chiefs saw last year Pacheco had some issues with vision early on. They kind of taught him, and he learned along the way and, and got better at that. So, yeah, this is, this is fascinating because it really is Pacheco 2.0 only with better hands. And, um, you know, when the guys run like that, they get injured, and we have not seen Daenerys Prince – enough when it comes to just running the football we also saw him i gotta mention he dropped he fumbled the ball uh in in saturday's practice so that's worth noting too andy reed kind of got after him on that because those are the types of mistakes that'll get you benched right away and yep. we can talk through them all for the preseason but if you start fumbling the ball put it on the ground you're not going to be in there long especially for reed so him and him and sky Moore to me are the two stories of camp um those are the ones if you're placing bets if i was placing bets i'd put the camp breakouts, I would put them on those two pieces because, to me, those two guys have looked different and emerged in a different sort of way where it just seems very unlikely that they're not going to contribute uh, for Sky Moore much, in a much bigger way than he did a year ago and for Derek, Derek Prince. Um, I mean, his path is the exact same as Pacheco last year. You start as a kickoff returner, you start to get some carries, you get your uh, you know experience with that, and then you see where it goes from there. Uh, for the Chiefs, they got to love having two of those guys that are going to have very similar skill sets, again, with the Eric Prince showing he can catch the ball too. I agree with those two, and I would add Matt Bushman to the list. The, I the keep asking. End. I keep asking Matt Nagy about, Matt, about Bushman. I keep asking Andy Reid about Bushman. Uh, the blocking is a question mark, but he catches everything. Um, this is kind of a cross-board comparison. Here. He reminds me a little bit of Jared Casey. He's taller, obviously, but Jared Casey for Kansas where it's like this dude just catches everything. And at some point, this tight end that catches everything, you, you find a way to play him because it's just it, it's so jarring that uh, no matter what you throw his way, it's, it's always going to be brought in. But, yeah, he's absolutely got a chance to make this roster after he did a year ago because of injury. Okay, I promise uh, that in a near future, probably next week, uh, podcast segment, we will talk defense. We don't seem to spend a lot of time talking defense. It's tough for defensive players to flash at training camp, even with the padded practice. It's not tackle to the ground, you know, practice. So, um, so we, we 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 don't talk much defense, but there's a lot to get to there as well. Um, so we'll, we'll do we'll talk about the defense next time. All right, we're going to um, we're going to end this conversation with Joshua Williams speaking about his friend Nazi Johnson. Yeah, man, Knight, or, or Nazi, um, he's been such a just great guy in the locker room. Like he's been doing this thing on the field, especially like this camp. So seeing something like that happen to somebody I'm so close with, um, I speak to him. He's easily one of the you know closest guys to me in the locker room um it hurt to see that and um it, yeah i used it as motivation i spoke to him uh when it happened later and i spoke to him this morning and um you know he's just telling me you know use him as a as inspiration and that's what i try to do go out there and remember like okay he's, he was giving it his all he didn't get the you know the result he wanted you know nobody wants to go down so he's saying you know you go out there give it your all and i'm definitely doing that yeah what does this team need to do to pick up for that loss um, you know, we have a lot of guys, a lot of great players. Um, he, he was a great player on, on defense this camp. Uh, but even last year, he was doing so many things on special teams. That hurts. But we have a lot of talented guys. I would say Coach Reed and um, all the coaches really just do a great job. And 
making sure that the next person is ready and prepared. So um, hopefully, you know, I, I don't expect to see any hitch on production. I think the next guy jump up there and do his thing and, and take his role. But, um, you know, it's definitely going to hurt. Let's catch up with Kansas State coach Chris Kleiman. As Big 12 media days were winding down in Arlington, Texas a couple of weeks ago, K-State beat writer Kellis Robinette and I were able to spend some time with Kleiman, and we covered a variety of topics. Here we go. We spent a lot of time talking about reacting to the the championship game victory here, but I wanted to get your thoughts on reacting to the bowl loss, Mm -hmm. what you took out of that, and kind of lessons learned from... Did you talk to Will Howard? Yeah, we did. He's furious. Yeah. Did you talk to Colin Klein? All of them. Please talk to <laughs> Colin Klein. Those two guys are furious because um, we were on a big stage and had a chance uh, to go ahead right before half and didn't and give Alabama a ton of credit because they stopped us down there and we didn't make the play and then it snowballed for our, on us from there. I hope our guys realize that we were on that same stage and we were playing toe-to-toe with them uh, until we didn't finish a drive. And so I think it's going to help us because – um, as great a season as we had and winning the Big 12 championship. And if some, somebody asked me this question, would you have rather won the Sugar Bowl or won the Big 12 championship? I'll take the Big 12 championship 10 times over. Um, but our kids had a sour taste in their mouth when they left the, uh, the Superdome as far as, you know what, we belong on this stage. we got to get back to this stage. Cooper Beebe, heck of a player for you guys. But he unfortunately plays a position that doesn't get a whole lot of individual yeah, recognition. Like he could never be Big Twelve MVP. No, but much you're going to get him. Position. You're going to get him on the Ring of Honor, aren't you? Well, we're going to try. We'll <laughs> okay. see if we can do it. But do you think if he, if people recognize offensive linemen the way maybe they should, yep. do you think he could be the most valuable player in this league? Yeah, the, he'll, it'll never happen, and Beebs knows that. But um, you know, for us, you could have our entire offensive line being the MVP um, because we're going to go as far as our offensive line takes us. And Will Howard would tell you the same thing. And honestly, Daniel Green would tell us the same thing because in this league, you have to run the football. Everybody wants to throw it and, and have all these gaudy stats and stuff, but you better be able to run the football. And it starts with those guys up front. Uh, if we're going to be really efficient in the passing game, it's going to be because those guys up front are moving the line of scrimmage and us being able to run the ball, and then it keeps our defense on the sideline. Do you remember the first time you looked at Cooper doing something on the field and you thought, this is really going to be a guy for us? Um, you know, it was probably halfway through the pandemic here because he, he wasn't in great shape in 2020 when he came in. Nobody was. And then he started to – he was always light on his feet. He started getting in shape. Um, and then I, I saw a guy that, that just was a road grader. And then in 2021, I thought he he really took his game to the next level. Um, he was alongside uh, Noah Johnson, and Noah was a great communicator and a great, great leader in the offensive line. And for a guy to be able to be an interior guy and start at left tackle, it doesn't happen very often. And he was a dominant left tackle in the Big 12 with an interior body. That told you he had a great competitive spirit to him, and he understood his technique. Then we were able to move him inside once Katori started to, to really come around, um, and, and now he's right where he belongs. Is it his footwork that makes him special? Or? Footwork as well as he just sees things really, really well. Uh, part of it is film study. He knows what looks what looks mean and where stunts and movements. 
I think the biggest compliment to an offensive lineman is not just being able to knock somebody off the ball, but be able to uh, react to when the picture changes because I'm not always going to be in front of you and all of a sudden I leave. How do I know that's coming from this way? Or is it somebody looping back around? Coop just understands the game really well and he's able to communicate that on the field. And that's that's the biggest thing about having all five, five of those offensive linemen back. Not their ability, but their communication and the fact that those guys have played so many snaps together. One thing that um, strikes me is very interesting about you and Will Howard is that you've always been a very staunch supporter of Will. Even when he yep. struggled, you were his biggest supporter. Where did your confidence come from and stay with that to where he, you know, now everybody's right there with you? Yeah. Um, for starters, he shouldn't have been thrust into what he was in 2020. Um, not because he was a true freshman, but because he missed all the fall camp. He came in as an early mid mid-year enrollee. Um, I, I think he, either he had COVID or was a close contact, so he was out a long time. And then he had to come in and play. And uh, I, I thought he was a great competitor, and I thought he had a really good fall camp. And then it just, you know, he struggled down the stretch of that year. But he didn't say, well, this was the coach's fault. It was O-line's fault. He took ownership. And... Even in 2021, when Skyler got hurt and then he came back in and played um, and had some ups and downs, he took ownership for everything. And the thing that, and then when we told him, hey, we're bringing another guy for competition, uh, and Will could have been our starter last year, but Rubes wasn't ready to be a backup. So we were going in with one quarterback then. We had to bring in another guy for competition. And he said, guys, bring him on. I, I, I'm good. And those two became best of friends. Um, and I just saw him continue to evolve and continue to work on his game. And I can tell you, I can't remember, he had something, family emergency, he had to go home. Uh, and so he he missed the prep week for whatever game it was that, that uh, Adrian was playing uh, this past year. And he left on a Monday and came back on a Thursday. And he sat there and threw in the nets and worked on his drops and worked on all his skill set. And he wasn't playing, but just because he missed that week of practice, and he just said, I want to keep working on my craft, keep working on my craft. And he's a guy that goes and visits with people, uh, quarterback guys and stuff, to continue to, to learn more about his, his uh, mechanics. And I, I just, I love the kid. I absolutely do because of most guys would transfer yeah, yeah. And, and he did. And I, kids that have hard times, you know, that say that everybody's against me and things aren't going well, go see, go see Will Howard, you know, because you can easily throw in the towel or you can fight it and say, no, this is where I belong. What, what do, you, do you think his game will take a jump now that he's oh, playing with confidence? 100%, 100%. The belief that he has, the belief the teams, the teammates have in him, uh, the fact that this is the second year with CK in the system, I think is huge. And I think he just scratched the surface. I really do. Uh, from what what he is and what he will be as far as I thought he had a really good second half of the season. Probably was the most improved player in the Big 12 second half of the mm-hmm. season. Agreed. But I think he's very underrated. He might be the player of the year. I think he might. What, what does he have to do? What, where do you want to see physically the accuracy? Yeah. You know, he's at 56 um, or 57, yeah, I think. Yeah. For Quick decision-making and accuracy. And I saw, I saw some things in spring ball where I'm like, there it is, Well. You, you were decisive, and you let it go, and the timing was right there. And when you did that last year and Julius Brents was covering, it was a completion. If you hesitated for a half a second, Julius Brents was breaking that pass up. That's the Big 12, and he knows it. That's Alabama. That's everybody else. Of just being decisive and saying, man, I'm going to rip it. I'm going to rip it. Um, and I know he wants to improve a little bit his athleticism, and he got a little bit leaner this year. I mean, people forget, TCU, 
pandemic year, he runs 80 yards on the second uh-huh. play of the game. And in 2021, he outruns everybody from Texas for an 80-yard touchdown run in the, in the first quarter. He's got athleticism, uh, just leaning up a little bit. Uh, I don't want him to carry the ball 15 times a game, but I want him to be a threat in six to eight. Big question, big picture question for you. NIL, has it been good or bad for Kansas State? It's been really good for Kansas State. Really good. Really, really, really good because, um, A, I don't know a lot about it, which is really good. I mean, seriously, I – how much did Deuce Vaughn make last year? He would know more than I would, Kenny would. I don't have any idea. But Deuce probably earned it. I know this. He gave back to some of his teammates. I know that Adrian gave back to some of his teammates. Uh, I know Will Howard gives back to some of his teammates. But I don't know, and I think that's that's good that I don't know, because I don't want somebody to come up to me and say, hey, how come you got this kid this deal? How come I don't get this deal? Because we don't have anything to do with it. Um, but I think it's really good for college football because those guys built a brand at Kansas State, and why shouldn't they be able to profit off of that? I think it's great. Have you uh, ever had anybody come to you and say, look, I'll play, but only if you can arrange X amount of dollars, anything like that? No, I haven't. No, okay. So you've never had to be involved in a bidding uh, war or anything like that? No, I haven't had somebody come in. And, and I know the guys in our locker room and the culture we have in there. Um, it wouldn't go down like that either. I mean, okay. I, I just um, I hope I've at least garnered their respect enough to say, "Hey, look, I'm not doing this unless this." I mean, I mean that then I then I would say, uh, "Probably not going to work out for here." But I don't think that's the kind of players that we have. You know, hey, coach, I'm struggling with something. Can we find a way to give me some help? Um, then I'd, I'd make the appropriate calls or whatever I had to do to see uh, if he could reach out to a collective or whatever it may be. Um, but um, We've got such quality kids in, in, in our locker room, and, and the culture is at its at its highest right now, and that excites me because it better be a really good culture as name members like this continues to evolve. You've talked a little bit about him today, Gene Taylor. I know yeah. you love the guy, but yeah. what is it about him that makes him a good good athletic director compared to other people you've worked with? Um, other than hiring you, of course. Well, I know it, and I haven't worked with that many. I haven't been head coach that long, um, but just the fact that he knows the right buttons to push he he can put his arm around me when he knows that um not even a loss maybe you know Skyler Thompson hurting his knee you know he knew I was crushed uh you know what that's why you it's why you're good at what you do Chris uh because you care so much about that kid and about your players um when I go down there and say hey Gene I, I need something for this okay tell me why you need uh explain why I need okay let's let's find a way to get it done or, Chris, we can't do this, and here's why. Um, but he's very rarely says that because I know if I'm going down there, it's something that it's going to help the student-athlete. It's going to help the program. And, um, you know, this business is hard enough as it is, as, as you guys cover it and see it. You better really enjoy the person you work with and you work for. And I'm a big believer in that of who you work for is as important as where you work mentioned that the offensive line is a bunch of characters. I'm wondering if ben, does Ben Sinnott fit into that category as well? He'd get d- devoured by those guys, but he thinks he fits into those guys. <laughs> you know, uh, Ben's the jokester. Ben's come out of his shell quite a bit. Um, and he's, he's a fun guy to be around and I like to give him crap. Don't go play golf with him because he, he probably he or Porter is probably the best player on the golfer on the team. Um, but Ben's starting to come around as far as having a little bit of a personality and stuff. But it doesn't get any better than coming out and listening to Gilly and 
and those guys in practice. I mean, it's hilarious before practice. Ben's from Iowa. He's from your hometown. Are you like, I know like Taylor gets a big uh, smile every time he gets the Kansas kid. Are you that same way when you land Iowa players? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's where I cut my teeth and played high school football. Um, I still know a ton of the coaches in there. Uh, my folks still live there. Um, I, I know that similar, it's very similar to the state of Kansas. Kids have a chip on their shoulder. And, uh, you know, not a lot of people gave Brendan Mott much, much of a thought. Brendan Mott's pretty close to an all-Big 12 defensive end. Ben is uh, an all-Big 12 tie now. Um, and we've got some others. we got a couple more this year coming up. Uh, Asa Newsom that just uh, 15 minutes from my hometown just enrolled in campus uh, this summer. So uh, I'm excited because, you know, we're starting to cast that net around about a 500-mile radius that we need to be really successful at. One more at least for me for you. Avery Johnson, everybody's really excited about him. Is he ahead of where you maybe thought he would be? Yes. At this point? Yes. And the reason he's ahead of where he where I thought he would be is, you know, you get to know somebody through the recruiting process and, and you know he's a competitor because he plays all these other sports and stuff. But the drive internally that that kid has, not just from the physical standpoint, but more importantly, the mental standpoint, is what has impressed me the most. The amount of film he watches, him coming in, and I, you know, guys know I'm a defensive guy. Coach, let's just go through these coverages. Can you help me out? Coming, coming and asking me, not not me saying, Avery, we're meeting at this time. He'll come into my office and say, Coach, can we watch this cut up? And I want to go through these coverages. Or I want to go through these blitzes because I want to know the whys that they're blitzing or why they're disguising this way. That's where, you know, it's hard. Not very many freshmen are like that. That are ahead of where a lot of the younger kids are because they've never been exposed to that. He's learned it quickly uh, through his high school study and then obviously being a semester with Will of, of how much time and effort Will puts into the mental side of it. Good? good? Alright. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. That'll do it for today. Thanks to producer Randy Mason for putting together the show and to our Sportsbeat KC staff of Monty Davis, Todd Feedback, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to Jesse Newell and Callis Robinette for their contributions. Morning Sports Edition is the best digital sports section going by accessing liveedition.kansascity.com. You get pages and pages of local coverage of the Chiefs, Royals, KU, K-State, Mizzou, Sporting Kansas City, The Current, and more, plus pages and pages of national coverage. Again, it's liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every week.